So if you're listening to this right now, you're probably wondering why are you not hearing the intro music and why are you hearing this at the top of the podcast? little peel behind the onion for you. So I am currently recording this on Sunday night. We just found out that Matt Luke is fired at Ole Miss. Marler is out right now, like most people do on a Sunday night. Um, but I wanted to address it at the top of the podcast just because we talk about Ole Miss, Ole Miss as if Matt Luke is coming back in 2020. We talk about the Egg Bowl, break down the madness that was the end of that game. And you know when we recorded the podcast, which was roughly 12 hours ago, we recorded on Sunday morning, we were under the impression that Matt Luke was going to get another year. They were going to keep that staff in place. As it turns out, that is not the case. Matt Luke and his entire staff, we believe, are being bought out. Interim athletic director Keith Carter is no longer the interim athletic director. And it turns out he had some uh, some some different uh, things in mind when he came out with that statement last week, basically saying, Matt Luke is our coach. He's our coach. That's why I think a lot of us are surprised by this. Definitely took us uh, a bit by surprise to see uh, somebody who had shown, you know, I think that offense had shown a lot of progress. I think the, the defense that Mike McIntyre had incredibly improved. And Ole Miss was a team that, in my opinion, was much better than their record. I know they were a four-win team. I know there were Ole Miss fans that were frustrated they didn't win the Egg Bowl this year or last year. And, you know, were, were put a lot of their blame on Matt Luke. But, it, you know, he inherited, obviously, a very unique situation with the Hugh Freeze fallout. And, you know, there, there are a lot of things to be said for somebody who comes into a program that's facing a bull ban for the first two years. Obviously, Ole Miss didn't have the bull ban this year, but... Matt Luke was not ultimately able to get it done in the eyes of Keith Carter. Now the question that is up in the air is what in the world happens to this program, this young offense that showed so much promise. I thought that they were going to run it back with Rich Rod and John Rice Plumley, the connection that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And we said that we really thought that they were coming into their own. What happens to guys like Rice Plumley? What happens to Jerry Neely? These guys who look really, really good as true freshmen at Ole Miss. Who knows what in the world the future holds for them or, or what this is going to entail, but it's a buyout north of roughly $17 million. When you consider Matt Luke and the staff that he brought in this offseason, that is not an easy thing for any SEC program to cover, much less one that has been kind of on the bottom end in terms of attendance. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what this search looks like. The obvious name that's going to be thrown out there, a guy like Mike Norvell, the Memphis coach, who ironically enough beat Ole Miss to start the season. He's going to be a popular name. Who knows what this list of candidates is going to look like. We know that there are three openings in the SEC as of this recording. That'll probably change by the time I'm done recording this, but... Um, we know that there are three openings, Mizzou, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. So the list of candidates for all three of those could have some overlapping. Uh, that definitely wouldn't be a surprise, but just kind of wanted to address this at the top because we talk about Barry Odom being gone at Mizzou, something that, that came out on Saturday. I thought it would have been weird if we just didn't address anything Matt Luke related. We're going to have more in-depth Matt Luke stuff and talk about the Ole Miss job itself with our midweek pod. Marler's going to have a full reaction. We're going to have probably a very sad, sad end to the Matt Luke imitation. Maybe he'll bring it back. Who knows? Maybe we can talk Marler into bringing it back for a special occasion. Who knows? Maybe Matt Luke will get a coordinator job in the SEC or something like that. Something to stay relevant. But uh, just wanted to address this at the top because it would have been weird if we if we didn't have something in there. So yes, we know as of Sunday night that Matt Luke is indeed out at Ole Miss. Let's go to the rest of the pod.
Hello and welcome to the Saturday Non-Stop Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor Guerra. Marler, this is my first Alabama loss in the Iron Bowl that I've experienced with you. I've experienced Alabama losses with you before. This is a, a different kind of experience. Obviously, that's something that we're going to talk about just a little bit today of Bama, obviously, losing this game, this thrilling, thrilling Iron Bowl that we got to see at Jordan Hare yesterday. Yeah, what a game. But I have, and I wasn't, to be clear for our listeners, I wasn't there with you in person, but this is a different kind of feeling for you right now, knowing that the playoff path is blocked. Initial, like, thoughts on just, like, like the reality setting in of, oh, like, this is this is different than, than anything you've experienced in the past five years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it sucks, it's like, from a fan standpoint, I think it's something that if you're a logical fan or a rational person, you kind of saw it coming. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and I should have probably just stuck with it, I guess, when I said I thought Auburn was going to lose. I got all pumped up. Um, I thought it was an incredible game. I, I, I thought it was, it was an incredible game. And I honestly, there wasn't a time where I thought they were going to lose until that that last uh, last two minutes or so with the field goal. I, th- I thought there was never a doubt in my mind they were going to win the game. And, you know, first and foremost, credit to Auburn. And congratulations to their fans, players, coaches. All that stuff, man. It was, a, it was an incredible game. Incredible game. Um, yeah, I guess in the same sense, congratulations to all the fans of teams that weren't involved in the game because they seem to celebrate harder than anybody. But, uh, no, it, it really I, – I Queso was scared to death, but I had a blast. I thought it was a great game. Uh-oh. What happened to Queso? Oh, he was – I think the first touchdown that Ruggs scored that got called back, I jumped up screaming in the house because we had, like, a, my buddy Robbie over. We had a great, we had a great day, man. Um, it was just – it was a lot of fun, and, and – uh, I just was like all fired up because I think, I mean that was a that's a big rivalry game. That's a that's a big rivalry game, and I don't I've think heard, people yeah. were, were. I think I think it was it was interesting because it was one of those things I realized like leading up to the game that what was on the other side of that game where people were really really excited for the possibility of Bama losing. We're going to get into all that stuff. We're going to get into every SEC rivalry game. We're going to do one thing I mm-hmm. liked. We're going to talk a little bit of early SEC championship stuff, kind of some playoff impact things that, that happened over the weekend. Keep in mind this – oh, we're also going to talk about Barry Odom, who, as we found out on Saturday, is out at Mizzou. We are recording this early on Sunday morning, so it is kind of considered Black Sunday in the college football world if these college football firings happen and there oh, yeah. there are big impacts across the SEC or you know Arkansas makes a hire or something like that maybe we'll go back in and, and add something like that later but just know that remember that if something like this comes out on Monday morning or something like that that we will not have had that covered Rutgers actually just agreed to deal with Greg Schiano so there's that <laughs> there is that good old Schiano yeah I can't, I still forget that he was the head coach of an NFL team I know isn't it crazy to go from Rutgers to the NFL is the biggest like hoop dream story in the history of the coaching world it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, our hoop nightmare. <laughs> Before we, great movie. Before we talk about all that stuff, uh, got to tell you about our friends over at Sweet Hop. Yes, nat- the, not the national championship, the SEC championship is coming up. It is less than a week away. We will both be there. Number one ranked LSU Tigers, or number two ranked LSU Tigers, however you want to view that. And the number four Georgia Bulldogs are going to face off. This is set up to be the game of the year. This is the perfect opportunity to rally your college crew or impress potential clients with an unforgettable experience in a luxury VIP suite at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 
Finding tickets for this marquee event can seem almost impossible, but not at Sweet Hop. Our friends at Sweet Hop can help set your group up with the ultimate experience in a VIP suite at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Suites comfortably seat groups from 18 to 30 people. Whether you're entertaining clients or bringing your college crew back together to see history in the making and create memories that will last a lifetime, all while enjoying amenities like VIP parking, extra wide seats, big screen TVs, access to premium seating, food and beverage, and no long lines for the restroom. Bottom line, the sweet life is the way to go for the 2019 ICC Championship game, and Sweet Hop will get you there. But did you know that Sweet Hop can hook you up with suites and seats in shared suites at other events too? From concerts and pro sports to supercross and family events, Sweet Hop can upgrade your event experience all across North America. No hidden fees and our outstanding personalized customer service will convince you that Sweet Hopping is the way to go for all your events. Saturday Down South listeners can take 500 US American dollars off of any SEC championship purchase by using the promo code SDS. Just head to sweethop.com. That's S U I T E H O P.com and use the code SDS for 500 bucks off any SEC championship suite booking. Okay. A lot of things. Hold on, real quick. Another important thing. Okay. You need to be doing if you're going to be going to the SEC championship game. Yes. Get into the live event Friday night at the College Football Hall of Fame with us. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So make sure you get your tickets. We will be um, blasting out the link to that, uh, I think, on all platforms, social media, starting tom- tomorrow, I guess it's supposed to be Monday. Um, if you want to get an early jump on it or you want to know exactly where it is, it's pinned in our SDS Podcast Facebook group. Um, so go there, get those tickets. It should be. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Buy your tickets now. Maybe you've got plans for the SEC Championship game. You know where you're going to be watching it. If you are in the Atlanta area, you're in – shoot, if you're in the state of Georgia – Make yeah. sure, just to get your Friday night taken care of. You're like, hey, want to take a little little after work road trip? you got plenty of time to get there after work. Do it. All you got to do, go to the College Football Hall of Fame, spend a night hanging out with us. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk a lot of different things, as we always do here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Buy your tickets right now. Seriously, cannot recommend it enough. Okay, the Iron Bowl. A game in which we looked at and said, this is going to be... Alabama's playoff, you know, playoff fortunes are going to depend on this game, how they look last last possible evaluation for the selection committee. All the things that we talked about Bama needing to do of having this game against Auburn where they do something that nobody's done against the Auburn defense all year, not Georgia, not LSU, you know, not not even Oregon. All of these teams that were in contention can Bama look better and do so with Mac Jones. And they did. On the offensive side of the ball, they absolutely did. All the things that we were saying about Steve Sarkeesian kind of came true. But the reality Can is... Can they do it with six starters out? But the reality is, Bama on defense was just not the group that we're used to seeing. And I think... I did, so, I disagree already. I disagree already. You're right, but you're also wrong. And here's here's my issue with that. And I feel like... I, and I've already told you, and I can tell how nervous you are about where you are thinking I'm going to take this conversation. I, but I'm, and I'm not. Listen, like, I'm... F- I'm fine. Like, this is not 2013. I have a... We just got a house. I have a fiancé. I have the cutest dog in the world. I love my job. I love all of our listeners. All that kind of stuff. This is not the end of the world. Bama fans, like, you, y'all need to hear it especially. It's... it's The sky is not falling. It's, a, it's one game they lost. Well, not two, but regardless, like... I, I'm going to say some things, and because people need a little dose of reality, and and if you if you cannot objectively hear me say these things and and not misconstrue them as well he's just being a fan because i'm not I, I feel like it's pretty i've, I've always been very transparent and, and and honest with like how i feel in in, in terms of or how i like can can assess or, or evaluate a team or a game or whatever 
Right. So it, it sometimes, go ahead. So what did you what did you disagree with the the point that I was? They gave up 354 yards rushing or 354 yards total uh, total offense. The right. defense. I mean, they they gave they they held them to five five third down conversions on 14 attempts. Like the defense, they had issues for sure, but that game wasn't all on the defense. That the defense played a lot better than I think people are going to give them credit for because of the number. Two pick and, sixes and, and are going to skew the number because the number is the most points exactly. ever allowed in the saving area. You get a phantom three points at the end of the first half, which we'll also discuss. But it, but here's what I'm saying, and, and this is this is I think just like a pl- like plaguing like sports conversation or journalism or whatever you want to say. Nothing that I'm saying is trying to build an excuse for why Bama lost at all. At all. It's it's frustrating when you try to bring up things that actually happened or impacted the game. Like like facts, facts, statistics, or things that really happened in, in this game, in real life. They're not all excuses. They're things that happened and impacted the in the, the outcome of the game. So I hope that people can hear that and 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 not take this as like, well, Marla's just being a fan. Because yeah, yeah I'm, I'm angry that we lost, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think it's all the defense. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it was all entirely on the defense. I would I would say that like giving up leads and going back and forth was yeah. was uncharacteristic. And you're used to seeing a Saban, a Saban coach team be able to kind of keep the foot on the gas, and especially with how well that offense was playing. There were things that Bama did, though, that were still uncharacteristic. It was the most penalties ever. By yep. a saving coach team, had six thir- pre-snap penalties. Six off, pre-snap starts. Landon Dickerson actually didn't have an un- he didn't have an unsportsmanlike penalty. He, he played, the on offensive that. line played great, man. Good Besides for Landon the penalties, Dickerson. They played great. Um, Auburn earned that win, but Bama did things that shot themselves in the foot. You have a pair of pick sixes. Obviously, that's a killer. This is such a game of inches, and that was such a great reminder of that. Where you know Mac Jones just isn't on the same page as Najee Harris on that little flat route that we've seen Tua throw to Najee a, a bunch of times. He tried to catch him behind play. his back. He was, yeah, he, he like didn't. Up into that kid's hands. If, if that, if he didn't try to go behind his back, I fully believe that kid did not see the ball until it popped up in his hands. I and, think it would have whizzed right between him. And Najee, Najee didn't see it either because his head wasn't turned yet. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just a weird play where like Mac Jones looked like he rushed the throw. It just an odd, yeah, odd sequence that obviously did not bounce back, but did not bounce Alabama's way. So you had that. Obviously, the doink goes in. It's a different conversation that we're having probably right now. Different conversation could have potentially, you know, we're talking about, you know, maybe them going in overtime. Um, the doing kick at the end where it's just like, all right, you had a chance. Like, you you, you drove down the field. You had a chance for a potential game tri- tying drive. Didn't go Alabama's way. Of course, it had to come down to a kick. You knew that was coming. Everybody in the world knew that that was going to come in that moment. That wasn't the kick that caused it, that caused it though. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, like, yeah. you know, these, these things that Alabama did that shot themselves in the foot. I'm not saying that oh, game yeah, was Oh, yeah, to decided. be clear, yeah. you have to make a 27-yard field goal. Yes, yes, no To doubt. be absolutely clear, you have to make a 27-yard field goal. And Auburn's skill players, that one, that one drive, oh, my goodness. Some of the plays that they made in that game, that's going to be kind Third of nine. a little bit of the overlooked thing in that game where, like, Seth Williams had that one-handed catch going to the ground. Yeah. That was like a 37-yarder. That was insane. There was the play where Bo Nix is scrambling to his left, and it looks like a pure throwaway. They basically called it on the game like it was a throwaway, and then all of a sudden Will Hastings just comes flying yeah. in out of nowhere great, and then catches. I, I don't know. I don't know if we got an explanation on that after if that was supposed to happen. And then that drive ends with Sal Canella making this toe-tapping catch in the end zone where yeah. Patrick Sertan had perfect coverage on that, and Auburn just made plays. And you know, you could even go back to the the Sean Shivers you know blow up of Xavier McKinney where Xavier McKinney's helmet pops off on the jet sweep on that touchdown play like all the things that Auburn skill players needed to do to win a game like that they did I thought and I think that you know if, if you're if you're sitting here trying to figure out like all right where did this game go wrong like why was this game so different 
you know, it was both sides. And I, I hate the question, and this is going to be asked so much, so I just want to get out ahead of this. This wasn't, did Bama lose this game or did Auburn win this game? It's always oh, both. Yeah. It's always both. I hate that question. Yeah. It's dumb. I, I mean, Bama had every chance to win this game. And there's not, like, I fully rec- I fully understand that. There's, I was joking around with our producer, Will, after the game yesterday, and, and he said, and, which I know, guys, that sounds crazy. Because I was joking around after 2013 like, is not joking how, around how after mad loss. I am. Yeah. No, but like, I was talking to Will afterwards, and he brought up the point about, I was like, you know, it was weird because Bo Nix, it's like 80% of the game, he did exactly what you think Bo Nix would do. And then 20% of the game, he he put, he put just had these, like, these perfect balls. Like, perfect spot, couldn't have thrown them better. Great scrambles, I don't know if he'd too. ever be able to do it again. Yeah, great scrambles. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I, I always say that if you let Bo Nix... Uh, play enough or stuff like that if he if he if he plays long enough he'll he'll ruin it or like he'll, he'll lose you a ball game he just wasn't on the field long enough because bama had the ball for for most of the game gotta think about that um, strategy should have just had you right. know, quicker offense but but he you know like i was really impressed with a couple of those throws and and like you said the catches like auburn did a lot to win the game like they they definitely did my my issue with the response to the end of the game is 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 this and, and honestly it's it could be somewhat simple because Mac Jones, if you would have, if you would have said before that game, Auburn's going to score forty eight points. Me, me as a diehard Bama fan and all that kind of stuff. There's no way I thought we would have been within fourteen points of that game because because of the way I've seen the last couple big games like this play out, where the defense has given up or the team has given up a lot of points. Okay, like they've given up a you know like forty four to Clemson. They gave they gave up forty six to LSU and all that kind of stuff. I could not have been more pleased and in, in, in like just encouraged from what I saw with a backup quarterback on the road and just keep effing firing and just keep coming back, keep coming back. It, like, I, I I was really, really excited about that. What bothers me about it is, and this goes back to the whole thing about these are things that impact the game versus excuses. Where, I, where I'm going to lose some people is the apples and oranges part of, of the arguments, and I'm just trying to compare them so there's a, a reference to them. It seems like a lot of fans, and I, we joke around about the injuries all the time, right? There's a lot of fans from other teams that, that constantly bring up like, well, this these guys were out. These guys were out, right? Like Florida had their both DNs out against LSU. Yep. Cager's been out for Georgia. Yep. Uh, you know, all, all this other stuff. And there's there's different teams. It's not just one fan base. That seems to be lost when you talk about Alabama. It, that seems to kind of find a fall by the wayside when you talk about that. Or the fact that that field goal at the end of the first half was absolute. And I'm you know what? I'm going to say it and Will can beep it out. It was absolute it was just absolute. It, like in that situation, there's not a single person in this country that watched that game and thought that was the right call. Because and, and listen, it, we'll get it. Can we get into this the kick now or the the, the call? Yeah, we, I, there's I, there's a couple things we can circle back to to some other things, but we can we can get into it right now. So I, I want to just preface this by saying like I've tried to listen to I at the time like watching it, I was like that's crap. That this shouldn't happen. Like there's there's no way because. I listened to so you, like you watch the way that it played out, and Saban is livid at you know at at the ruling. He's livid at halftime. Like he's he's seen enough of these scenarios to know that three points in a game like that was going to matter a lot. Sure enough, obviously it did. Saban at halftime said like you know you're supposed to have you're supposed to get three seconds, and then you're supposed to be able to you're not like you're supposed to be able to spike the ball, and then you you could have another play if you have anything less than two seconds left. You need to just get up there and go. And Matt Austin, the SEC rules official who, you know, is in the SEC network studios on a on a given Saturday, yeah. he, they had him they had him on and he said that Saban was actually confusing the rule. And he said that Saban was actually wrong about about like his interpretation of the rule and that the refs handled it correctly, that cool. Gene Steratore said that as well. I'm I'm prefacing I am saying no, I no, disagree I, I get with this. That. 
I'm saying yeah. I disagree with this. He's saying the human element, though, is the thing that that is frustrating about a play like this. Matt Austin even admitted that because the human element isn't supposed to necessarily allow it's for a timeout. It's not the human element. Well, no, no. It's, no, the here's common, it's the common sense element. Here's here's what I'm saying. They the the like the catch twenty two of this whole deal is they reviewed the play to see whether or not there was a second th- that there was there should have been a second added to the clock to see if his leg had gone down in that play. So they reviewed the play in which Auburn doesn't have any timeouts, obviously, but essentially they get a free one in that scenario. But there wasn't really a precedent to say like, all right, you yeah. know, like, like they didn't have to say, okay, we're going to let Auburn line up and then we'll snap the ball. They could have just put the ball down and then that could have run out the clock. So that's the thing that. That like if I'm a Bama fan, I'm most frustrated about that because like what's to say that the refs have to perfectly like allow them to line up in that spot where like that that's that's just like an awkward thing that nobody really like they said they knew how to handle, but in my opinion, it was just it was very strange because the human element was taken too much into account when they said, oh yeah, the technology is supposed to help in this situation. Okay, let me go back and try to make sure we don't lose any of the audience and and. I try to do this as much as possible with other fan bases because Bama fans are obnoxious as, as can be, and everyone is, loves their own team. Fine. If you if you put yourself in the situation of a Bama fan in this, so you you know you didn't go to school there, you're probably wearing <laughs> like Walmart clothes, like all those things. No, but like try to put yourself. If this was your team, you would be frustrated. Absolutely. You would be, and, yep. and you would you would hang your hat on this being the ultimate reason why they lost. And I. And uh, listen, again, I get that no one's going to feel bad for Bama fans. They've had an incredible run. I get it. This situation should have, it was, it's it's inexcusable that this happened in this game, in this situation. And and like, here, here's the deal. First and foremost, if you're, if you're an SEC ref, do your job right. Just do your job correctly the first time. Make the call on the field. None of this happens. You didn't make the right call. Then you go back for some reason because Malzahn is coming off the sideline screaming and hollering about one second. Everyone in the country that's watching this game knows he's screaming about one second because he's it's a only for selfish reasons. I, and I get it. I get it. Like, yeah, you want to get an extra second on the clock. There's no effing way, even if they had a second left on the clock, they could have run the field goal team out on the field Executed a snap, kick, hold, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. And yeah, got the time that's off. The and, and the quote, the quote that Saban said after the game, he said, the official beside me, the official beside me said, they won't be able to get it off anyway. I cannot imagine. Like, everyone talks, like, talks about how, you know, he lost his mind and, and there's going to be a, a ton of memes about it. And I, and I get it. Yeah, that, that, that in, in, the, in the long run, I said, going into, or coming out of halftime, I go, you know, this is going to really test the character of this team. They've been fighting the whole day. Because like, here's another thing, too. The momentum swings in the, at the end of that last five minutes of the first half were incredible. And this was such a cheapened moment for, on this stage because you know it's at stake, not just in the Iron Bowl and not just between these two bitter rivals, but on the grand scheme of things, the only thing that's, that's going to come out of you deciding to give another second on the clock, and by the way, when Gus asked for two seconds, I, I almost <laughs> went through my effing TV. I think that was part of that the, was, the, the, the like the saving explanation of like needing the two seconds to be able to. Yeah, like it was that's, crazy. That's why so, it, yeah. so regardless, like it was it was mind blowing that they decided to do it because the only outcome was going to be negative for one side, yeah. and that was Alabama. And, and like, and if you think that's not a big deal, the reason why it is is this: they lost by three points, right? Yeah. 
You know, you know what? You got to make a 27-yard field goal. You, you absolutely have to. It changes how the end loved, of the game goes. Yeah. What I would have loved to see the, at, the, at the final drive when you have a, this this hero, Mac Jones, coming in here, and you have a, a like on this final drive, he's been fantastic the entire day. It would have been awesome to see how that team would have looked if they didn't have to if they didn't have a chance to lose a game and they had a chance to win the game. Like if you're up eight at some point, if you're up three at some point, like all of that mattered, and it directly impacted the outcome of the game. And, and in my opinion, I think that's why they lost. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to be sitting there at SEC Media Days next year. You know when they do that that explanation, when everybody's kind of like like walking in after, usually it's um, like a the, the Wednesday morning or the Thursday morning where everybody's a little bit groggy because, you know, maybe they had, they had one too many. Yeah, the they rules were out guy late. going on there? Yeah, the or they, laser pointer. the rules guy that comes in with the laser pointer. And he's going to say, he's going to say, he's going to present that exact situation. He's going to say, rule change for this year. We're going to do a 10-second runoff so that we can avoid that exact situation. That's what I think is ultimately going to happen because the current rules that are in place don't necessarily address that. And Gus essentially gained the system on that play. That's that's to me is is what it felt say, like. But say that again, so if people hear it not from me, because that's Gus, exactly what happened. Gus gained the system on that play. Like let's just call it what it is. And he gained the system on the last play as well. And I actually I'll give Gus more credit on the last play because to me, yeah, sure. This like the way that game ended, and Saban called it unfair. And I think that Saban was a little bit befuddled, like kind of the rest of us, because if you didn't see the way that this game ended in the most anticlimactic fashion possible, was essentially Auburn goes out there on fourth and four. Deep in their own territory, they've got a minute left on the clock, and you know Auburn's got the lead, and Bo Nix is out there, and you're like, wait a minute, what's what's going on? Bama had sent their punt team out there, you know Jalen Waddle is back there. By the way, ridiculous game for Jalen Waddle. The fact that he is coming back for another year makes me very very excited. Yeah, um, I don't know a lot, but I did call that. So yes, you did. You absolutely did. He's not a top ten freshman though, according to me. <laughs> Last year, um, so. This situation was essentially Gus saying, I know that Bama doesn't have any timeouts. And I know that we're within five Which yards. Which is Bama's fault because they had to call it on that last drive. And that, that cost them. Gus essentially said, I'm going to bank on mass confusion right now. I'm going to send my punter out there. The punter, Auburn's punter was out there. All they had to do, though, was just shift him around. And Auburn was going to be in, in you know, fine shape. Yeah, they lined up at receiver in that play. And also, if you didn't see it, they're, they're, the way it was set up, and this is not making excuses, it was a great great play call. Unbelievable. The, the ball is lined up at the closest hash to yep. Auburn's sideline. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, Bama is rushing people on and off the field as far off as far away as possible. So, Bama gets a 12-man on the field uh, penalty, and Gus is just giddy. I mean, he is on yeah. cloud nine because he said he's had this he in the holster. He defense going back out there? Yeah, absolutely. He didn't want to punt to Jalen Waddell, too. I mean, think about that. I mean, think about how electric he'd been all game. And Gus essentially said, I'm going to bank on there being this mass confusion in this situation, something that Bama has probably not seen before, and I'm going to try and draw this 12-man on the field penalty. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. Auburn gets to have the victory formation win that game. It was such a bizarre ending, but it was weird to hear Saban say it was unfair. Maybe they'll address that in some sort of rule, like they'll give Alabama the chance to, to do a mass substitution if that formation is presented. But I thought given the rules that are in place, what what a brilliant move in that spot to know that oh, that's sure. that's what was going to win the game. Sure. And so in the unfair comment is going to people are going to take it and run with it because of it's Saban and they're going to talk about how you know they're just bitching because they always lose. Like and, and by the way, and again, trying to be objective about this. I would guys, say it was unfair too. This, it, well, so trying to be objective about this, you imagine, you imagine if Bama not only their opponent had thirteen penalties in this game, if the game ended on a penalty against them, and if Bama got an extra second and somehow made a field goal at the end of the first half. Just imagine what, what like, 
the circus that would like unfold on like on social media in the outrage. He said, I really feel like it was an unfair play at the end of the game. They they substituted a punter as a wide receiver, so we put the punt team in. And then when the quarterback was still in there, we tried to put the defense back in. I thought they should have given us a little more time to substitute and get Waddle out as a returner, so that was very disappointing. I, I'm not going to make an excuse for, like, it was a, it was a good play call by Gus. Sure, I, I get it. I, I trust, like I've said before, I, I trust Saban probably knows the rules better than I do. I don't think that's what lost the game. I said this after the game, very matter-of-factly, and I still stand by it. I think the game should have been tied at this point. But I mean, but you have to credit Gus for this in this moment yep. because he knew that Bama didn't have another timeout, and and they they went out and won the game. I I just I was I was blown away at at some of the officiating, and it wasn't just this. And and I don't want to get into a big thing of like, well, they blew this call and they blew this call. There were just a couple of things that like early on, especially the lack of reviews, like they didn't even they did they did like there was a, a strip from Xavier McKinney on on Seth Williams, and I, I thought at least deserve a second look. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously putting the extra second back on the clock. Uh, the roughing the passer play, where Nick's rolled out to his left, like and run, he's running towards he the line pushed. of scrimmage, and he got pushed. Yeah. But um, but that, that's not even the issue. The play before it, the play before it, he did this. He he had the same exact play call where he like you know it was it was an option read and he just went off left tackle for 15 yards. Mm-hmm. So what like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? What I, what I also do want to say before we like we wrap everything up, I guess, with this game. But, like, Auburn had an incredible amount of injuries they overcame. They had a lot of adversity they overcame in this Anthony game. Anthony Schwartz went down in like game. the first quarter of this game. First play. Yeah, first, first play. Oh, yeah, first I mean, play so I, I, uh, I, you, you have to credit them, and it was it was a great job, I thought, I thought from, from a team standpoint especially. And, you know, like, again, tip of the cap. Tip of the cap. Like, Gus Malzahn has beaten Alabama and Nick Saban three, three times. times yeah. The, the um, And listen, listen, and this is what I want people to hear. Because a lot of people hitch their wagon to him. Y'all better all go out and buy Auburn Auburn paraphernalia, Auburn Auburn apparel, and stuff like that. Because this man has beaten Alabama three times when Nick Saban was the coach. The rest of the active coaches in the SEC won. Like I mean, it's, it's so it's tip of the cap yeah. to him, man. What, so New Gus uh, said that his celebration consisted of an epic. Waffle House order. Of course it did. Why would Sick. it? It'd be weird if it didn't. Uh, Brandon Marcello tweeted this out. Basically, it was like uh, ham and cheese uh, smothered and covered, I think. Um, he's getting an extra waffle. Like, Gus was Gus was going, like, full on. I'm, I'm going ham, literally. Yeah. Going ham at Waffle House tonight. What else did New Gus do to celebrate in this game? Just ride his Harley off into the night and just, just chill? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even going to get into that. I, I mean, I, 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 congrats to Gus. That's awesome. And congrats again to the Auburn fans. I just, I, there were so many other takeaways I had from this game that were, that were not like the, you know, kind of generic things. I, I thought, you know, what, what, what bothered me after this game, like I said before, and this is just fans being fans is, is that this seemed like there were so many other teams living vicariously through Auburn. Yeah, of course. And, of course. and, and I think, I think what, what bothered me about it is, is that, you know, from at the end of the game, I called. I called my Auburn friends immediately. It was like, "Congrats, man! That was awesome. That was awesome." And there were several in the moment that were like, "Hey, sorry for so and so in the on social media that said this about you or said this." And I was like, "You know, whatever." But but when when this was when this was happening, like, I'm happy for my Auburn friends. I really am. What I was what I'm it's just increasingly frustrating is afterwards. I was so I was so damn proud of this team for Alabama and Mac Jones going out there and doing all these things. Yeah, that's hard, man. Before, I think that. Any other team in the country, this would have been celebrated. Any other team in the country, this this having six starters out, this would have been celebrated. It really would have. And and you know, I think like the, the immediate reaction for a lot of people was like, "What are the excuses going to be?" Like, I, I'm not going to give you excuses. What I will say is, they had 515 yards of offense. 
They had 515 yards of offense. Sark. The defense only gave it 354. Sark had an incredible game. Najee Harris was an absolute Oof. beast. That defense for Auburn didn't give up 20, over 23 points all season. Yep. They, they were, I think, one of six teams or something like that in the entire country that hadn't given up more than 23 points in a single game. We put up more than that in the first half with a backup quarterback. Put up almost double that in the entire game. They looked good in, in well, I don't want to say all three phases because of the, obviously the missed kick, but they never gave up. They never gave up, and that's that's what I enjoyed most. And and it was it was an incredible Iron Bowl, uh, awesome you know, game, awesome, classic awesome and, game. and finish. It just every once in a while I wish that one of those would go go Bama's way for for in the in the Iron Bowl specifically. Yeah, in the Iron Bowl specifically. And if, if you're mad about anything that I just said, I I don't even know how to. Do it. I can't apologize to you because you, yeah, that's your own issues. Jesus. Who knows what happens to Bama's playoff path if if they were to win this game. I still think that they would have needed other things to happen, although they did the thing that I said you absolutely have to do no matter what, which is score points against this Auburn defense in Jordan Hare. That was super impressive. There's no doubt they that that would have. The playoff. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I still don't think that the path was, was really that close. When you consider that you know Ohio State and LSU, in my opinion, now have a loss to give. They can lose yeah. in their respective com- conference championships making in the playoff Clemson is going to roll in the ACC championship and then you're kind of sitting there like well you know that's there's one spot left and there are still Oklahoma and Utah that have pads obviously is one loss power five conference champs and that doesn't get in Georgia like this was this was a a season's worth of of takes and opinions that that and I genuinely mean this that are based off of a decade's worth of of I think fans and, and of college football in general, and then also fans of the SEC that have been skull dragged by Alabama for the past decade under Saban and are ready for this this dynasty to be over, yeah. which is fine. But they also they've been waiting for for a decade, or especially for this season specifically, for these takes, these opinions to have some sort of validation to them. And whether they whether they won by three or whether they won by ten, they were going to have that validation because this was a track meet. This was a Big 12 game. There's no defense involved. And it was like, there's literally 14 points scored off defense. Yeah. It was like, there's more points scored on, on Auburn's defense than Bo Nix was responsible for. Here's what I want to say, and I swear I'm not just saying this to, you know, to flatter you or to, like, to make you feel better. I'm just saying this as, as a neutral observer who has watched college football for a while. Go back and look at some of the quotes from 2013. Or 20, 2014, actually. 2014. Go back and look at some of the quotes after the Ohio State loss when Bama is essentially out of the national championship for two straight years, it's the only time that that's happened in this decade where they've had a two-year run in which they have missed playing in the national championship game. After that stretch, of course, they go on to play in four straight national championships. They win two rings. I'm not guaranteeing that Saban is going to respond in the same way because this yeah. is going to be two straight years in which Bama will not win a national championship. Obviously, they were in the national championship last year. But Gasp. I would not be pouring dirt on Saban. That, that, that to me just seems like a really, really dumb idea. And anybody, I know that's going to be the narrative out there. And it's going to be, uh, especially if Clemson goes on to win, like, oh, Clemson's obviously passed Bama up. Like, I would not rule oh, out I the idea that. of, I, I still would, you know, Clemson, Clemson's the, currently the better, the better program this year, obviously. They had the better season last year. I would not be burying Saban just yet, just because of the way that this season turned out. That's just me. There's, there's more merit to that. And you know, you know what's weird about it, too, is it, the argument that came out about it so fast. From from just several different like areas was like like I, I said for a long time Bama wasn't the best team in the country. I, one of the reasons I said they never deserved to be in the sure. college football playoff even when two was help was healthy was I said those teams in 2017 and 2011 that backdoored their way into the playoff they won the national championship because they were the best team in the country. This is not the best team in the country. I don't know if they're the top five team in the country right now if they're not healthy. I think they are if they are healthy. Obviously, even you know like with two of them, saying, it's just it's but very difficult. The, to judge, the people yeah. that have just got just it went from being like. Yeah, they lost to like they're not a top ten team. 
Like how? There's there's no way you can tell me there are ten teams. But like being objective in, in Florida, I I'm not I'm not saying that you Florida's not better than Bama. I, I don't know how that game would play out, but I I'm surprised that so many people come out of the woodwork and like obviously Wisconsin's better. Obviously this team's better. It's like dude, people geez. are gonna people are pointing to the resume now, and the the thing that's gonna that's gonna be in question for Bama moving forward is the fact that Bama has. I'm not saying that Bama isn't a better team than these teams, but what I'm saying yeah. people are going to point to, and they're going to even point to. I threw this out as a tweet last night. All of a sudden, nine and three Auburn is you know in terms of a New Year's Six resume, comparing it to Bama, and Bama's going to be compared to all these two lost teams now. These two lost teams like you know Wisconsin, like Penn State, like you know even even Auburn, which has three losses. They have, they have more quality wins than Bama. So how is the selection committee going to rank that? Because as we know, the New Year's Six is dependent on those rankings. It's not necessarily which team wants... Bowl games? Care about bowl games? I, and, and, and the offense is going to sit out for the game anyway. That's the exact thing, too. It's like, yeah. well, you know, if you're a Bama fan, do you really care if you go to a New Year's Six bowl game or not? No. Like, no, probably oh, not. Absolutely. I don't want to go to the, the Citrus Bowl or whatever it is, but at the same time... Hey, like, no, 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 no. You do want that because then you can come to Orlando. Orlando. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now no, I mean, I, I agree. It, it is... It is uh, it speaks a lot to like the depth, I think, of the SEC, and and, and it really does. It surprised me because there's a lot of Florida fans that came out saying that exact thing, like making that argument between the two teams. And I just I don't have time to get into it because it's like they're not going to play each other, so I don't know. It, it is it is surprising because Florida has had one of the most unheralded ten and two seasons I think I've ever seen from an SEC school. Kind of is. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just it's crazy. They're a fantastic team. I just it's it's weird that we can't have that opinion and then also. This opinion, like, oh yeah, I think Florida's a really good team. Two I think separate discussions. Team. Two yeah, separate discussions. Mutually exclusive. I don't like the way that you said Citrus Bowl like that. That kind of made me feel That's bad. For peasants. Whoa, whoa! How dare you? <laughs> uh, let's get on to one thing I liked. It was rivalry week. Why don't we start calling this one thing we liked since we're both on this podcast? Wow, that just shots fired across the bow. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I I said I said I because I didn't want to necessarily if you didn't because I I had come up with these and then you always come up with stuff of that's off of these. So I didn't want to say yep. that I liked this certain thing and then you be like, oh, actually, whatever, you know, you I, Homer. I hated that. Okay, the Egg Bowl. Obviously, the one thing I liked. The entertainment value was off the freaking charts. That was the Egg Bowl for the ages. We're gonna be. Can we do the It Just Meant More on the on the 2019 Egg Bowl? Can we just do it now? Because it's going to be great. I, that was, I, 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 like, I'm still speechless from it. I can't, I can't believe that that I saw that unfold. I, I it was can't. a movie. It was a movie. Like, seriously, it was, it, was a, it was a comedy movie in which you're like, all right, this is the longest yard or something. This is too ridiculous for a game to end on a celebration in which you do the fake dog pee. You know, with Elijah Moore, and then a missed extra point in that moment. Like, only in the after Apple. he called a fair catch after catching the football. Yeah, he which... had a tough day. I, I will say, I will say this: it was the the one thing I, I guess you're right. I don't know if I'm gonna say I liked the rest of the ones I have on list are things I liked. Okay, but this one, and I think it's it's there. I think the SEC officiating has had a rough season in general. No, I think they've um, been great. I think they've been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> It's been like I mean anyway anyway, um, but they they had they got bailed out by that fake dog pee like and I like think about that sentence like they they definitely got bailed out by that kid doing a fake dog pee like Pat McAfee going you can't you he's got to know you can't pee on the field after a touchdown I, I mean yeah you could see that whole thing unfolding it, like he was gonna miss that kick but but what the the issue was on that last drive. There was like four or five straight. I think it was. I know it was at least four. I because I remember tweeting about it. I was like, "That's four straight penalties or four straight plays with a penalty." And and remember, right before that, 
Matt Corral threw a touchdown pass while Ole, or while Mississippi State was offsides, and mm. they blew the call dead. Yeah, because he was he was coming in unabated to the the pass. It was like what? Yeah, which, that like I don't it know was. About that, yeah. It, like and again in this in that moment in that moment in this rivalry, like I, I just thought that was crazy. Here's how crazy the Egg Bowl was. I was in such a food coma that the idea of standing up on Thursday night after I've already had you know massive Thanksgiving meal. We ate a little bit later too, so that's an important detail. Sorry. The idea of standing up to me was not great. I'm 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 watching. I, like like I said, like I, I like Morehead a lot, but I, I'm watching this. I, I am a, a neutral observer in this. I can't stress that enough. Like I'm I'm not sitting there like rooting for Mississippi State. I was on my feet for the final like minute and a half of that game amidst food coma yeah. and all that stuff because I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, you're watching this unfold. The Matt Corral bomb that he threw. Fourth and 24. Unbelievable in that moment to, to complete that pass, to extend that drive, where, like, you're just thinking, is Ole Miss actually going to find a way to, to somehow win this game and we're going to get the best Matt Luke talks that we've ever had on the history of the SDS podcast? That was going Connor, through my mind. Let me tell you something real quick. I mean, listen, first off, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you, I mean, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Let so, me ask you a question real quick. It's Matt Luke, by the way. Matt oh, Luke, oh, we know. Coach, Ole Miss football. Um, Still. You a sweet potato souffle or a sweet potato uh, casserole, man? Huh? 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 I can see. I can see that smile. You're a souffle man. You're a souffle man. I just put him on the plate. Eh, I don't really pay attention to them that much. All right, that's enough. Um, <laughs> Connor, here's the deal. I mean, you know that, that egg bowl. It, 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 it was a tough game. It was a tough game. I think it hard fought on both sides. And uh, you know, I think I think the biggest takeaway out of, out of everything that happened here is, um, you know, for the, you had the kick six. You got the prayer, Jordan Hare. You got. The catch. You got several moments that'll go down in history in sports that are just iconic with names. And I, I think, you know, having Hottie Potty or uh <laughs> Missed P A T, I think that's honestly it's the cool. biggest takeaway for me. Yeah. I mean that I mean that was in the moment, you got tip of the cap to the creatives. I thought that, I thought that was great. <laughs> Matt Luke's not on Twitter, is he? I'm not I, sure. I hope not. Uh, not not like actually. See the video I tried to do before the game? Oh yeah, yeah, of talk, yeah, of strictly Matt Luke in character like that. Yeah, that was he, our last egg. I was so I had that staged for for quite some time, like uh, what I was going to say, and then I couldn't break the egg in my own hand because I don't have the hand strength. Uh, that's a really difficult thing to do. Really difficult thing to is do. Is it? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel bad about it. It is. Yeah, um, Joe Moorhead is coming back as we found out. John Cohen apparently had a very long conversation with him on Friday, and then they announced that, that he nice. will be returning. Yeah, a uh, little interesting note. Announcing that your coach who's just won two straight Egg Bowls, you're going to two straight bowl games. He is coming back for year three. Um, well, so. I like what Moore had said in the post-game press conference, too, about he was like, you got to kick my Yankee ass out of here, something like that? Drag it. Yeah, something like that. Drag it, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. it's good good verbiage on that one from uh, old ball coach Joe Mo. Mizzou and Arkansas. Ugh. I struggled to come up with one thing that I liked about this game, but... Is it always raining in this game? It always, always. is. Why is it always raining? Can it just this be sunny? This game is played under a cloud. Goodness. Um, I love that Arkansas gave us a fantastic SEC trivia question. That was incredible. The trivia question is, can you name all five starting quarterbacks for Arkansas in 2019? Oh. I thought you were talking about the actual trivia question, like during the broadcast. Oh no, 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 no! Like I came, I come up with my own stuff for all this stuff. Okay. <laughs> the Arkansas, so Hits Jack Lindsay, trivia. Jack Lindsay, of course. Um, uh, we had uh, KJ Jefferson, we had John Stephen Jones, we had um, we had Nick Starkle, and we had Ben Hicks. I just named it. There you go. 
you got to ask yourself too, man. It, it, like nobody's talking about the injuries at quarterback for Arkansas. Nobody. They didn't have the. <laughs> they didn't have the injuries. Or nobody's I talking about the mumps that they had. What in the world was that? They had mumps. They had mumps. They had like fifteen players that were out with the mumps. I saw that tweet before the game. The name Jack Lindsay and then saying they had the mumps sounds like the most like nineteen fifty two like Arkansas football team ever. Yes, they threw uh, six passes, two of which were complete. And everybody went nuts when they completed the pass. It's like a forward yeah. pass. What what happened here? Um, this game was a disaster, and as we found out right before, obviously, you know, Mizzou wasn't going to be going to a bowl game, so it kind of defeated the purpose. Mizzou gets that sixth win, but the season is over. We are going to talk about Barry Odom, the firing, the decision that Jim Sterk made. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I feel like talking any more about Arkansas right now is just a waste of our breath. Yeah. Okay. Georgia. Georgia Tech. Clean old-fashioned hate was not so clean. <laughs> we'll get to a little bit more of the George He's Pickens stuff later. We'll, Man. We'll get to more more of some of that stuff later. The thing that I actually liked about this game, though, was Jake Fromm's response to an awful start. And an awful start in which, you know, George Pickens is sitting out the first half, apparently, like, on the sideline. And then, as we He's know... Peloton. Yeah, it's just... That commercial sucks, by the way. It's the that, worst. The girl? The worst. It's so dramatic. Why is it so dramatic? They don't even say how it Five changed her. Who would have thought... She's what are like, you talking about, lady? You're in so good much. shape. She was in good shape to begin with. And then the husband is just sitting there like, yep, this is what I did this for, so you could have this emotional moment. And in, in, his, in the back of his mind in that commercial, he's thinking, oh my gosh, I've driven my wife crazy by getting her this bike. What have I done? Dude, I would have unfollowed her on social media so fast if she would have posted. If, that is the worst. If she is a YouTuber, and influencer, she, th- that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't 6 a.m. The videos got worse and worse. We get, I really like how we broke all this down. Oh, yeah. Somebody got onto us on Instagram about not breaking down enough film <laughs> before our predictions. That's, That's a real film. thing. That's film. That, that, yeah, so you're welcome. If you're listening, guy, we broke down the film of the Peloton commercial. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, I don't know how that had anything to do with Jake Fromm's awful start, but here we are. Um, got off to just that, that horrendous start um, and, and then responded actually really well in this game. Had four touchdown passes. Uh, a season high for him, and did so not necessarily without his full arsenal of weapons. DeAndre Swift goes down in this game. Just a weird, weird game for for Georgia. A game in which they dominated and won, you know, fifty-two to seven. But even Rodrigo missing a kick at the uh, end of the first, first half. half. Yeah, the first half was just strange. Seventeen to seven start. It was Tech missed the field goal too. Yeah, Tech missed the field goal. Was two of nine for eleven yards in the first half, and they were they were only down ten. But Rodrigo missed a kick, and that was to I know, me, was stunning. Like, well, yeah, agreed. But also, it was also stunning too. If I, there were so many bets I put out yesterday, and things I said on the last podcast for like our locks, I was like LSU over twenty and a half points in the uh, in the first half, their team total. LSU covered the first half spread. I bet on that. Clemson and their team total in the first half. Oh, you had Georgia, the Iron Bowl first half too. The, the over yeah, hit on killed that, that one. Yeah. Jesus, that was that was nuts. Easy. Um, but like this one with with uh with Georgia, they scored seventeen points in the first quarter. And then couldn't manage four more points in the, in the second. Second was quarter was one of the worst quarters that we've seen of Georgia football during this three-year run of Kirby. Yeah. I think that's fair well, to say. Wow. I, I will say what I did like about it, and I'll, I'll be positive, um, with with like the the game itself, because like I, they ended forty or fifty-two to seven, and yeah, it was a blowout. Yeah. But like what I really enjoyed seeing, and, and whoever the broadcast uh, the broadcaster was. From the jump, I jokingly said on SDS on Twitter, I was like, he must be a Georgia fan because he's already questioning the play calling like the first series <laughs> of the game. Because he was like, they're trying to throw it three times. Like, Why aren't you trying to run behind this offensive line? I, I love the fact they came out trying to work on stuff. They actually they, stretched they, the field they, in this game. 
They're going to have to do it next week. And yep. I, like, listen, I know that Fromm started out 0 for 4 or whatever it was, and they didn't look great. But the fact that they are tr- they were trying to improve in that, because they know they can, they knew they would be able to run all over Tech if they had to. Yep. Um, I also like the fact that they got the tight end involved. Yeah, Charlie Warner. Nice. Uh, yep. Fromm goes through his progressions. He's able to find him in the middle of the field. Very nice NFL play in terms of a read to be able to, to hit him in that spot where he used his third read on that play. Um, but Georgia is still, you know, sitting there with one loss going into the SEC championship. And if you're a Georgia fan, that's all you probably could have hoped for at this point. With the way that things were going in the middle of the season, yeah, you're happy to be moving on and be able to do. Well, that. they got two wins yesterday. They got we'll two wins. On. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about that later. Um, or maybe we won't. Louisville against Kentucky. We know the one thing we liked. We know, it, and it, this is a week. I feel confident saying that it, it's Lynn freaking Bowden, man. Like man. 284 rushing yards, four touchdowns against rival Louisville. To do what he has done this year, people were finally starting. I was finally starting to see national people really give him the love yesterday. Most rushing yards ever for an SEC quarterback in a game. The year that this guy has had is just, it's legendary. It, it really It's one of the special seasons that we've seen in the 21st century. I absolutely believe that. It is so underrated in what this offensive line has done in supporting this and really getting on board with this style, which everybody knows it's predictable. They know what Kentucky's yeah. going to do. They're not throwing the ball. To, to be at the situation where they were at in the middle of the season with just this quarterback depth of, you know, that was a mockery. We made fun of Arkansas just now for their quarterback depth or lack thereof. Lynn Bowden leading this team to seven wins and to end the regular season with this just blowout win uh, yeah. of an in-state rival like that. T- tip of the cap because... What he has done this year, it's not easy. It, it is so not easy to make that transition the way that he has. And he has made it look easy. And, and the moves that he makes and the support that he has from that university, it's been one of the yeah. cooler things to see in college football this year. Agreed, man. That Them and and, uh, and specifically him. And then Tennessee, I think, have been like, kind of like the feel-good stories of the SEC. In the like second, the second half, half, yeah. Of the season. season um, and I say this kind of jokingly, but like this, this more so than the Tennessee one because this fan base is – Consistently more likable on like a, a with other fan bases. I'm not saying the yeah. Tennessee fans aren't likable, but I'm saying like there's they have so many rivalries that are so intense with like Florida fans and Georgia and Bam. Like all I got, that's all I mean. But um, this was incredible because I feel like I've said every single week. I'm like, listen, they're so one dimensional. There's no way they can win. <laughs> Just trust me. Like Louisville had like I think the 87th or 93rd ranked rush defense in the in the country, and I was like, we knew they're gonna does run, it. Yeah. Yeah, and they start up. They, they open up six nothing. I think they they scored late in the in the first half. So what I liked most was not only the fact that that Lynn Bowden had an incredible day because he, he this kid should have been getting notoriety. It's like one of those things that almost like I joked about about the hipster thing. It kind of pisses me off that the, the national attention he's just now getting because we've been watching this week in and week out, and yep. what he's been doing is is super special. And if he played at a service academy like we said a couple weeks ago, like this would probably be more of a story. But I mean. Hats off to him, and, and the other group that's not getting anywhere near the love they should get is Kentucky's offensive line. It's amazing. They went out yesterday and had 517 yards rushing. They averaged 12.6 yards per carry. Most rushing yards that. against an FBS opponent that anyone has had all year in that game. That's incredible. I just I I, I couldn't be more happy for that kid uh, and for Coach Stoops uh, and, that, and that team and fan base because... I mean, really, they are completely one-dimensional. I wasn't wrong. No, no, just, you're not. But they, it doesn't matter, But though. they just went out there and proved everyone wrong, including me. And it was it was really incredible to watch, man. This this team that was predicted to fall off the face of the earth, and we talked about that a lot in the offseason, and having Stoops on, on the podcast, you know, and listening to the way that he was talking about this team. I, I built a program, not a team. This isn't going to yeah. be some fall from grace, this one-year wonder. 
He's got a chance to win eight games this year. And that, to me, is, is an incredible testament to the job that he's done, the adjustments that he's been able to make in the middle of this season. Getting the talent team they lost belief. last year. It's unbelievable, man. It, it is unbelievable. Losing two generational guys in Josh yeah. Allen and Benny Snell and to be able to respond like this where Kentucky is, you know, whoever Kentucky is going to face in a bowl game, they're going to sit there and have to game plan the entire time to, to stop Lynn Bowden. And good luck to that because that, that's not Bama because they'll run all over Bama's defense. Yikes. That would not be pretty. <laughs> Um, speaking of games that were not pretty, Clemson, South Carolina. Ooh. Oh my God, we this is the worst. Played. I think this is the worst rivalry in the SEC or in College Bowl because they oh, hate man. each other so much. But it's like a real unhealthy hate. Like it's not like a oh you know, one of them was crazy because they they like burned trees down or they stabbed somebody after. This is like you're a terrible person and I hate your entire family. They're, like these people just are crazy, crazy hate each other. That's old Miss Mississippi State too. I think too. Also true. Yeah. <laughs> I think both both fan bases obviously really, really hate each other. Uh, the thing I liked, South Carolina season's over. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I honestly am. It's weird that we are we're finally in, at the end of the season and we there hasn't been more resolve before now on whatever's going to happen with Muschamp. Because it's every single week, it's the same thing. Like, does he keep his job? Like, I don't know, they lost again. We knew they were going to lose again. Like, there haven't been that many games late in the season where it's like, oh, they got upset. It's too bad. I guess App State. App State's like a 10-win team. Like, I don't, what do you, I, I don't understand. Schedule was brutal. Let's just move on. Move, yeah. Either fire them or don't, but I'm tired of hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, piss or get off the pot, they always say. Brian, I feel bad yeah. for a guy like Brian Edwards, too, who you know meant a lot to that program, didn't play in this game. He's been banged up lately, but kind of an anticlimactic way for his career to end as well with this season that just yeah. fell fell apart in the second half. All right. Uh, real quick, I loved uh, Tavian Feaster's former teammates posing with him after the game. Hey. I, thought, I thought that was cool. What? I thought it was, was I thought it was the picture itself was just kind of awkward because Feaster's like, oh, crap, what'd I do? I don't know. I oh, felt I mean, bad. Whatever. I felt bad for yeah. him. Yeah, cool to see that. You, you're right. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say like that was awkward for everybody. Then, but yeah, it was imme- like that. Sportsmanship was immediately ruined. Like 12 minutes later, when Dabo got behind a mic. But oh gosh, Dabo is becoming one of the most insufferable people in college football. I mean, very uh, quickly yeah. he has become that. Of like saying nobody in the world is saying that Clemson is going to be left out of the playoff if they go undefeated. And if you do, everyone lose, wants us out. And if you do lose to Georgia, by the way, Dabo, that's going to be. And, and if you do lose, or not lose to Georgia, but if you lose in the ACC championship, it's the selection committee isn't going to be like, oh, yep, you know, we're going to give Georgia the benefit of the doubt, and that's going to be too bad for Clemson, even though they both, you know, face South Carolina. Like that's not how that works. It's resume. It's the fact that you have no wins against a current top twenty-five team. Heat. It always comes down to that, Dabo. Stop with the woe is me stuff. You're Clemson. Yeah. Act like a act like a big power. Get off your high horse, man. Not everybody's out to get you. Everybody's been praising you for the last month, okay? Everybody's like, no, nobody wants to face Clemson right now. That's why this one and two seed matters so much. Chill, Dabo. Just chill. There are two fan bases that, like, there's, there's one, it's one thing to use stuff like this to motivate your team, which I think he tries to do, obviously. Too much. But there's another part of it where, and there's, there's two fan bases, and me and Will talked about this last night. And the other ones in the SEC, and I'm not gonna t- I'm not gonna say who it is because I'm not gonna deal with them. But th- their immediate reaction, if it's a game they played or not, is they're the victim. Yeah. Somehow they're always the victim. Everyone's out to get them. No one gives us enough credit. And it's like you know what, Clemson, like you just said, you're a great football team. Everyone acknowledges that. You didn't. Pl- your strength of schedule is worse even than Bama's. It like it's terrible. It sucks. It's terrible. Like it's like yeah. You know what? I think every team in the SEC would have loved would have loved to play your first eleven games. And then get a bye week before you act like this. He hates the SEC and wants to prove a point so badly. He brought up the record after after the game. Yep. He said, We're ten to one in our last eleven games. There, there is not a besides Vandy. 
or maybe Arkansas. There's not a worse situation they could have, like, South Carolina been put in right there. It's like, oh, God, he's going to try to, like, make an example of out of course. us. Of course. Jesus. And, and I've defended Clemson in the past, saying, like, I think Clemson would still have a ton of success against an SEC schedule. And, like, yeah. Clemson, Clemson might win it all, as you predicted. Clemson could could definitely win it all. But, like, to sit here and say, oh, yeah, like, our resume is just as good as, as Georgia. Like, give me a freaking break, I told you. Man. I like, told you last year, I've never seen a fan base ugh. that is more jaded after winning a national title. The worst. The worst. Vandy and Tennessee. Let's talk about something good. Eric Gray was that something good for Tennessee. My goodness, did he have himself a day. 246 yeah. rushing yards for the freshman. More rushing yards in this game than he had the entire season combined coming into this one. Tennessee gets the ground game going on a day in which Jared Garantano was not good. <laughs> He's just the first pass. Ooh. First pass of the game. It's not like, good. All right. Not good. Go. But Tennessee is able to end the streak against Vandy. Bragging rights in the state of Tennessee. Good for you, Vols. You finally get to win a game against Vandy. And you know what? Eric Gray looked, if that's a little glimpse of the future, and if that's what this identity can be moving forward with that offensive line, which has been criticized heavily, that is a very, very good thing for Jim Chaney to have in his back pocket. I tell you what, man. It, it was, well, I'll say that for last. But, but what I liked most about this was, you're in a weather delay. You're in a you're in a very oh, yeah. easy Weird. spot to to kind of not show up as much, like not be as ready to go and, and kind of be affected by it. You know, there's some teams that cannot play in the rain, and and like it, 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 that's not a shot at Georgia, by the way. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> I thought it was just before anyone freaks out. It's not a shot at Georgia. I'm just saying in general, like that's that's because it's not like Tennessee's offense has been great, and and Garantano's been like the key to it. So. That could have been an issue going into that, especially with how, how miserable the weather was. What I will say is the defense has still been fantastic over yep. the second half of the season. But more than anything, the pride, the pride that those players had in the program is back. And you could really see that. And like it, it's, you know, there's there's second half of their schedule was the opposite of backloaded, obviously. But like it's still difficult to go win five or six games. It's it, very impressive. I will say I'm worried about where this where this is the going. Hype train. Yep, because we already saw it before. It, it's like a hamster wheel, man. Because you saw it before this season, and they 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 got to that seven wins. They they got they to hit seven the wins, over. Great, they hit the over. But afterwards, did Juwan Jennings stomp a Vander player in the face? So I was going to ask you about that. Looking at the replay, I don't want to definitively accuse somebody of doing something on purpose when I'm not in his his mindset. You did look he at different angles. Him? No, no, no. He didn't stab okay. him, thankfully. Um, that did not happen. But it was a, a situation in which he got he got tangled up with a Vandy player on the sideline as he was going down, and like they both just started going after each other. And, and it was and then he got he gets up and it's amidst this this brawl, and it looked like he like he was turning away as his foot came down. Some people said it was intentional. Some people said absolutely not. He was trying to get away from it. I don't know what it was in that moment. It was a heated play in which both guys were going back and forth. Obviously, if he was intentionally stepping on a player in that moment, yeah. then my goodness, that's that's really dumb. But if he, if he wasn't, then if it, we're just blowing this out of proportion, obviously that's a different yeah. discussion. But I didn't want to, because I know there are a lot of people listening to this right now. They're like, oh, what are you going to call Juwan Jennings for being a thug or something like that? It's like, well. Oh, no, what? Yeah, no, there were people that were... I hope that this episode is... Like, people are hearing this like, that's a good point, and not like, ah! Seriously. Just angry the whole time. By the way, I wanted to throw this in there, too. David Ubin tweeted this out, who does great work covering Tennessee for The Athletic. And I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. If it's Ubin, Ubin, it. I'm sorry. It's U-B-B-E-N. You probably already follow him on Twitter if you're good a Tennessee story. fan. Tennessee was favored in an SEC game for the first time under Jeremy Pruitt. This game. By 21 points. This was the first time that Tennessee was favored. And they actually didn't crazy. cover it. Go figure. Um, yeah, I know. Whatever. Florida State, 
Florida. Thing I liked about this game, I witnessed a murder. I saw John Grenard kill a guy. Jordan Travis, Florida State quarterback. Oh man, that was a hit. I don't yeah. know if you saw this play, but the the back. I I don't think backs are supposed to bend the way that Jordan His soul Travis's left back. The body. It did. It was like a dementa. Um, it was. <laughs> It was ridiculous watching watching him get ahead of steam. It was like uh like the water boy when he when he comes through yeah. just barreling down. <laughs> you're, you're like fearing for this guy's life. I'm gonna need so remember last year how there was the Yeah, the, also Florida. Yeah, also Florida. The play to end the game against Mississippi State where they had the Water Boy soundtrack. I'm gonna need that for the John Grenard play. So internet, Real, Twitter, man. hop on that. What a what a great performance from him in shutting down Florida State, a game in which was lopsided Florida was in control the entire time. Kyle Trask was brilliant, but John Grenard Yeah, he had a great game. Yeah. Kyle Trask was really, um, really good. My favorite thing was Kadarius Tony. Oh my being god! Heavily involved. Ridiculous. The Did he actually break down. a kid's ankle? He broke mine watching him. So and like he only had I think he had seventy six total yards combined. But the fact that he was finally like heavily involved in ways that we want to see him like he had a pass attempt, he had a rush attempt, he had four catches and a punt return, and it seemed like every time he touched the ball, especially in the passing game, he was he was making a highlight real play. Kadarius Tony did had two plays in that game where in basketball, you know, like the the Allen Iverson crossover when everybody just like freaks out and like he crosses somebody up and they you know they yeah. they, they stumble back. Kadarius Tony essentially did that twice in this game where you just yeah. you heard the Florida crowd just erupt and they're like oh like how in the world oh, did he do that? I he's insane. I will say we, you said this earlier about like the New Year's Six thing. I don't think Bama fans really care that much, and that's a lot because of the entitled thing or whatever you want to say about them. If they don't, and if Georgia doesn't get into the playoffs somehow and they get a New Year's Six Bowl, I think both of those teams, I would say even as a Bama fan, I think Florida's more deserving of a New Year's Six Bowl than, than Bama. Florida's and getting in. They, and they should, man. This It's it's like, it's it, you know, I hate to get on a high horse because I we talk about the playoffs so much, and that's just what how college football is, like, that's the nature of the beast now. Like, that's just what it's become because... You know, some of these other games don't matter as much. You had Minnesota and, and Wisconsin playing for division title this week, like a two top twelve teams, and and it, it and game day was there. It still didn't even seem like it mattered. You know what I mean? Like, so I think this is kind of you know one of like the byproducts of, of what we have in the system now. But this Florida team, Dan Mullen, becoming the first coach ever in Florida history to have back to back ten win seasons. I brought up that stupid stat in the offseason about how Florida only had this many ten win seasons before Spurrier, and. I, I I couldn't have been more wrong about Florida before the season. This was such an incredible job coaching. It's I don't know how, but it's flown under the radar. His their only two losses are by what a combined twenty one points, and it's to the number two and four team in the country. What an Georgia. incredible season, man! Yeah, uh, Dan Mullen both he, on the road. Yeah, both on the road as well. Well, away from home, yeah, because the the cocktail party. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Dan Mullen isn't going to win Coach of the Year. He deserves to be in the discussion for the job that he has done with yeah. this team, with the injuries that they've had to deal with. Last game, A and M. LSU. Told you. The revenge tour of Coach O continues. You know, it's funny because coming into this year, we talked a lot about the, the Bama revenge tour, all these things. And what I kind of realized after Shut watching up, this Connor. game, what I kind of realized after watching <laughs> this game, though, is that Coach O has just been on his own revenge tour this You're entire right, year. And this game was a perfect indication of that. Not just because, you know, obviously, like we expected LSU to be able to score points in this game. They scored more points than I thought they were going to be able to score against an AM defense that has played really well in the second half. But the moments that really stood out in that game to me were like where there were four minutes left in that game 
And Coach O had a Saban-like reaction to the to the sideline, where he thought the sideline was getting a little bit too comfortable. He was saying that the defensive he he was fearing the defensive miscues. That dude was after style points. He was after blood. He was after whatever he could possibly do to make sure that they held AM to single digits in that game and said to the selection committee, you think that we're not a complete team? Here you go. There's a line from Tombstone that fits him and this this game so perfectly. And he says, it's not revenge he's after, it's a reckoning. Oh. And Coach O, man, this was what I said for my my favorite thing to take away was he's he was very honest about what he wanted to do to AM and wanted to get revenge and, and how bad he wanted to beat them. He was he said they dominate, and they did, just flat out. And, and you know what? And another time, I'll eat crow right now, C-R-E-A-U-X. They, I said the defense was trash. This defense, like, complete 180. I don't know how they're going to play against Georgia, but this is such a perfect positive sign going into your the SC Championship game. They were, they were absolutely dominant in every phase of the game, and having, like, I, I knew they would score more than 20 points in the first half, right? Like, I, I should have put it as one of our locks of the week. They did it in the first like nine minutes. Yeah, and and it was just it was really cool to see, especially from the defensive defensive standpoint. Like like you kind of wonder now is it like is this something they can just turn on? Grant Delp is healthy and, now, which is which is big. And, and he had an interception in this game. Him being healthy matters. The week off where he was able to maybe get that ankle healed a little bit, I think benefited yeah. him a lot in that one. Um, well. The other thing too, the, one of the coolest things I think I've seen all year in in, in college football. Absolutely, and this was awesome. Yep. The Joe Burrow jersey <laughs> that was so like. You know, I said I think I said this after like the the game in Tuscaloosa is that LSU is kind of getting away with some things because they're just they're so much more likable. Like yeah. Coach O is more likable, and and it's I don't know if teams are allowed to do this in general, but like they're kind of playing by their own rules, and it's really fun to watch, man. Like it, like Joe Burrow came out with his a customized jersey, sweet, and and like sweet, and it, it's just it's honestly we get so passionate about it, like or especially me like from growing up around SEC football my whole life and and all that kind of stuff. The fa- it means so much to the fans. It's so cool to see when it means like the same. It means the same to coaches and players because that was just that was such an incredible, it a, incredible it was a moment. Ch- chills moment, and I think that you know how if you're um, if you're like a free agent in professional sports, they'll they'll show you like they made a big. T- I'm a I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm going to throw this example out there. They had made like some sort of video showing John Lester why he should come to the Chicago Cubs, and they made a video staging him winning the World Series and ending the drought for the Cubs. What I think every person that is trying to woo a grad transfer quarterback or a transfer quarterback should do, just take LSU's video that they yeah. made of Joe Burrow where he's running out of the tunnel onto the field and just caught, like just Photoshop whoever's head onto that jersey and just show them that and say, you can do this. Because that is the grad transfer quarterback 101 reason of why you should transfer and seek an opportunity for you if it's there. Because watching this story and what this kid has done, we're going to talk about you know the records and all that stuff. And oh, by the way, it passes Tim Couch for the most yards ever by a quarterback in SEC history in a season. He ties Drew Locke's record for passing touchdowns. All those things are great. But watching the support that he received from the LSU faithful, yeah. where he had the great tweet afterwards where he says, you know, they say that Death Valley is where dreams go to die and it's where my dreams came true like like Same, that stuff, joe who's gonna who's gonna star as joe burrow in the movie because it, it's happening uh, yeah macaulay culkin um and by the way <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about because we probably should have explained this earlier uh it the the jersey instead of it being like burrow b-u-r-o b-u-r-r-o-w it was b-u-r-r-e-a-u-x it's just it was really cool 
That was really cool. awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, LSU, we're going to be talking about it's a like lot. Uniform violation too, but it's cool to talk about that later. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about. Do you want? To, you know what? Well, let's talk SEC championship preview first before we yeah. talk about before we talk about Barry Odom because that's a little bit of a downer. Um, so. My question is, what is this final line going to look like with all these things that are sort of up in the air about Georgia? We think that 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 George Pickens is going to be suspended for the first half of this game. We know Lawrence Cager's not going to be playing. We don't know necessarily the status of DeAndre Swift, although Kirby Smart says he thinks he's going to be a go for the SEC championship. The final line, I guess, for this game, I could be way off. I, I really don't know. I guess LSU minus 11 and a half. So... Somebody posted in, this, in the SCS pod, like the Facebook group, that the line was four. No way. Really? I, that would be shocking to me, especially with the injuries and people that are going to be out for Georgia. That I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, I, I know earlier in the season, Action Network uh, and a couple of spots, they had it at eight and a half. Um, how, how much earlier the, in the season? would be though? the projected line, like two or three weeks ago. That would be the projected line. Um, I, I think... 11, if the injuries are as bad as they say they are, and especially with what LSU just did against A&M and the betting public, you're going to have to drive that price up. You have to. The, the reason think. why four I don't think is, and I'm not saying that I don't think Georgia is necessarily going to be able to keep within four or not win the game or whatever, um, but if, if, if Vegas puts that line at four, the amount of money that will oh roll gosh. in on LSU yeah. will be it be crazy because be people crazy. are people are going to want it. And you bring up the point about LSU kind of like being this team that everybody has sort of fallen in love with. From a gambling standpoint, there is nothing more that people are going to want to do than bet on LSU to score a ton of points and win this game by by a couple touchdowns. You know, at Saturday afternoon SEC championship. Like to me, yeah. If the line is if the line is less than gosh, if the line is less than seven, I'll be really surprised. I. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, it still hasn't come out yet, which is really weird because usually that comes out like like last night. I think they're factoring. They're trying to get a read on some of those injury situations right now that yeah. we're still waiting to hear more about. Um, as we brought up before, I think LSU's already in. I think LSU's in. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that even if they lose this game 50 to nothing, I think LSU is in. I think their resume is still really, really good. I think going 12-0 and the way that they have this year and you know beating the teams that they beat, LSU deserves to be in regardless of what happens. And if Georgia were to, to blow out LSU, then yeah, Georgia would be in as well. But to yeah. me, this should be open and shut. LSU and Ohio State already in the field regardless of what happens over the weekend. And, you know, that's not to say that Wisconsin would be in with two losses. But Ohio State is essentially, you know, playing a tune-up game, I think, for the playoff. I think LSU is in the same exact position. And yes, yeah, they've they already want... played them too. Yeah, and they've, well, yeah, Wisconsin and Ohio State have already played. We've already kind of seen how that went, and it was yeah. very favorable for the Buckeyes. But, yeah, LSU, I, I think... It's going to be interesting to see the way that they approach this game. They want to win the SEC championship. I'm not saying that they're going to take their foot off the gas any yeah. way, shape, or form. Because there's also the other little thing that's worth remembering. That battle for the one spot and the style yeah. points that you could potentially get in this game. And avoiding Clemson in that semifinal. If that's what this comes down to, LSU's got all the motivation in the world. Not saying that they would they would lack motivation knowing that they probably already have a playoff spot. But just a lot of factors that are going into this game that aren't yeah. as simple as like, oh, well, winner gets into the playoff and it's as easy as that. It's a little bit different than we've seen in years past in the SEC championship. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, with uh, this game, like, I I was maybe a little bit ahead of myself, uh, trashing LSU's defense, and I know what I've seen throughout the year, and I, I, I'm not going to go back on everything that I've, I've seen because of, or that I've said, because it's one game, and they played A&M, and, and I get it. Um, this game is going to be great. 
I, I just, I'm, so I'm really pumped. excited for this. Like, I hope, I hope Georgia's offense can can figure some stuff out to make it a game because th- this is just it's the best defense in the in the country. It's the best offense in the country. This should be a really really outstanding game. And and I I just James Coley, if you're listening, can you just not for for all of all college football fans everywhere for Georgia fans especially, can you not screw this up? Like, can you just not screw this up with dumb play calls or not? Like, just figure out your identity before you go into the game and and, and go with that. If it's Jake Fromm throwing the ball, fine. If it's if it's running, whether it's it's if if Swift even plays or if it's Harrion and and Zamir White and and Cook, run it down their throats. Whatever you want, just figure out an identity before the game. That's I'm, all I I'm ask. I'm on board with that. I'm on board. With I, that. I think it's going to be a great game, though. I think it should be a lot of fun. I think you're right. LSU deserves to be in. I don't think that they're going to ever. I don't think they're going to jump Ohio State at this point because I think my my conspiracy theory on this is they're just trying to set up LSU Clemson in Atlanta and they're trying to set up Utah or Oklahoma and Ohio State in the Cotton or in the, the Fiesta Bowl. The Ohio State Utah matchup would be the Urban Meyer Bowl. That'd be fantastic to see. Uh, um, yeah, people forget about that. Not really. Nobody actually talks about that. Um, I'm amazed that Georgia still only allowed one rushing touchdown in 12 games. That's absurd. Absolutely Crazy. absurd. If LSU was able to take advantage of that. And it came in the that, fourth quarter Yeah, came, that game. came in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, Bo Nix, quarterback of the future at Auburn. Uh, I, I'm excited to talk more about this game. We're obviously going to talk about it a lot with our midweek pod. We're going to be doing a live podcast, as we know, in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame on Friday. A reminder, buy your tickets again. I think that um, the one thing that I want to remember for this game is – what what is the the national perception of the SEC going to be after this game? What are we going to look at and see? Because it's been such a popular topic of conversation of like this high powered offense against this like you know throwback defense. Like, are we seeing a little bit of a changing of the guard in the SEC where it would be you know two years in a row where the high powered off if LSU were to win this game where the high powered offense is sort of taking over and. We've sort of changed our perception where, you know, a lot of people used to make fun of the Big 12 for no defenses and yeah. no, no defense in this game. If this game turns into that, I, I think that that's kind of a symbolic of like, you know, we're, we're changing our thinking in terms of the way that we evaluate football games. And it's no longer just, <clears throat> excuse me, getting choked up thinking about this. Um, it's no longer just, oh, yeah, you know, if you score a lot of points, that's automatically bad defense. I think that can happen in this game. And I still think that these two defenses can actually be good. Yeah, it's a very, very logical and, and perfect way to put it, Connor. It really is because it, it's. It, I, I mentioned it earlier in brief. Like it, it's so frustrating because it's like, it's so easy. It's just I think just the narratives that people have created in, in media and all that kind of stuff have become so lazy because everything's based off social media. It's just like a, a quick reaction, a snapshot reaction of something, or a knee jerk reaction of something. I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think it can be both because why this is not the Big Twelve. Who, who was it? I think people have been comparing LSU's team this year to Oklahoma last year, right? Like this great offense. You're going to have a Heisman winner on offense. Blah, blah, blah. Again, lazy. You're taking like two things. Their colors aren't even the same, man. One of them's yellow. The other one's crimson. LSU's got uh, like three no. first-round defensive players there. Oklahoma didn't have like, any. Like, give me, give Oklahoma me was the 99th ranked defense in the country last yeah. year. And I think LSU was like 47th, which is not great by their standards, but it's still really good. And I know that number moved up after this week. So that's that's so dumb. It's it's not the same. And and if if you can't if people can't see that that that's concerning that they would be allowed to cover college football. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think Georgia's going to need to get a little bit of that though to to keep this game close and to have like more of the offensive firepower. 
Let's go to a topic that came out before, uh, before, like during college game day on Saturday, and that is Barry Odom is out at Mizzou. Um, something that we, I, I, I've said, you know, coming like coming down the stretch here, where there's four weeks left in the season, where we're doing the SEC stay or go. That if I were in Jim Sterk's position, that I would fire Barry Odom, and I think that the losing streak, the five-game losing streak, played a big part in that. And that's sure enough, that's what he came out and said. Um, so he cited that he cited declining ticket sales as, as another reason why that you know this move was made. Go figure that Barry Odom, a guy that we have said just you know Mizzou has just been so incredibly average. He finishes his time at Mizzou with a six and six record this year and twenty five and twenty five overall. Kind of fitting for Barry Odom when you know we've praised him at, at, at times when it looked like he he has righted the ship and we've given him credit for that, but the lows were just ultimately too low. Only beat one Power Five team who had more than seven wins during his four years there, and that was Florida, Florida? last year. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I'll say this: like, I don't think that's a good stat. I, I don't think that's necessarily where the benchmark should be for him. The, I think the biggest cause for concern was like. It seemed like he, there was not like, well, the, like we talk about Georgia, how they had like this one lapse against South Carolina, right? Which isn't that big of a deal in the long run. He, he would consistently have like a full month where they would just lose like every you game. dumpster fire. Just, you can't it, have that. It was awful. Yeah. And then like, well, he goes 4-0 in November. There was there was concern, all, like just a, a lot of concerns that you could see popping up for his entire time there. Um, and I think with the way he was hired and brought in on the heels of everything happened with Pinkle, yep. it wasn't like he was an overwhelming favorite. He's he's a homegrown kid and he played there and he's he's like a tough nosed guy that like loves the university. But after a while, like uh, you, first off, you hit the nail on the head a couple weeks ago, and this is when I knew the writing was on the wall. If the buyout was a million dollars, it ended up being like two point eight million dollars, but that's, that's still a still... very very affordable buyout for an SEC right. team. And yes, I understand that Mizzou lost out on ten million bucks because of this bull this bull ban stuff with the NCAA yes. sanctions, and they operated in the red this year. I understand all of that, but still, in terms of the the overall big picture of your program, a two point eight million dollar investment isn't that crazy when you're investing ninety eight million dollars into the stadium renovation. So like that yeah. that kind of gets lost in the weeds a little bit. And this this program has had, and the athletic department especially, and the university has had one of the more like unfortunate up and downs over the past five to six years and dating back to like the 2013 team and all the yeah. stuff that happened on campus. And we're not going to get into like the political the or, protests, or racial yeah. stuff, but all that kind of stuff, they, they, they kind of had their hand forced a little bit on some of the decisions they made. And it's just like, it's been a rough go for them. But what I, what I thought I hate, you don't want to see anybody get fired necessarily unless it's Chad Morris. Um, oh, but, Barry, but Barry Odom, Barry Odom, like, him being fired, what it shows me is they're making a commitment to the program. It, you, it's not they're not trying to go seven and five or or six and six even. Like there were so many pieces in place this year with all the returning talent. You have Kelly Bryant coming in, Derek doing the offense, and, and the numbers he'd been able to put up. You had so, you had so many opportunities to to gain momentum and have a good season. Yep. And you you lost to Wyoming game one. I mean, I I think committing to the program, and they, this is a program that's also criminally underpaid most of their coaches. That's why they lose a lot of them. They they I hope they make like I don't not a splash hire, but like a good hire. That's what it and, seems and like commit that, to the program. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I threw out the the stat as well of like, you know. Well, not the stat, but just the note of you know him being the right guy four years ago. He made a lot of sense. 
But you know, this is going to be a different a different thing that Mizzou fans have experienced in recent memory. This is essentially the first time this job has come open in 18 years since Gary Pinkle was hired back in 2001. You know, Barry Odom made a whole lot of sense. He was a great defensive coordinator. I have no doubt that he's going to be a defensive coordinator at the Power Five level. I truly believe that his track record defensively as an assistant is going to be rewarded. I think in the coaching market, that would not be a surprise to see him bounce back on his feet, have a job in 2020. But I think if you're Jim Sturk, you looked around the division and you saw Tennessee beat you. Kentucky, more stable as well. Florida, Georgia, they're on a different level than your program right now. You're taking steps back, and you're losing Vanderbilt your quarterback. You. Yeah, yeah, and Vanderbilt beat you. I don't want to say that Vanderbilt has like definitively passed up Mizzou or something like that, no, but it's. But, it, but yeah, you look at all the things like that, and you're just like, yeah, you, you can't necessarily run it back with this current coaching staff, and it's too bad because we've we've said you know Barry Odom was somebody that has really like we we've we have listened to him speak and been more you know sort of like inspired by hearing the way that he talks about the program the fact yeah. that he held all of those he helped he held the program in place after the bull ban by not having guys enter the transfer portal all that those things cool. did a lot of great things for that program but you're at a different point right now and you're not settling for mediocrity that's what i wrote about shameless plug um you know basically wrote about this is mizzou saying we're not going to settle for mediocrity so with that in mind this coaching search is going to be an interesting one because I'm not convinced that they're going to make this big splashy hire. I know Adam Spencer wants Lane Kiffin. Shout out to our guy Adam. Don't no think Lane's going. Lane well, and, and and if you're a Mizzou fan, again, I've always I think they're the most sensible and logical fans in the entire SEC. They don't want Lane. You don't want Lane Kiffin as your head coach. I mean. I love Lane Kiffin, sure, but like he's great at Florida Atlantic. He's a great offensive coordinator at a big school. You want him running your program if you're trying to be taken seriously? It'll be very interesting to see the kind of the kind of candidates that they entertain. Mike Norvell, Luke Fickle, those are the the obvious group of five names. Willie Fritz as well that that are going to be thrown out there for for a job like this. Mike Luke Leach Fickle would fit in well there. Yeah, Luke Fickle would be would be an interesting hire given you know he's actually got plenty of recruiting ties in the Midwest, obviously from his time at Ohio State and Cincinnati. Um, also rumored for the Arkansas job as well. So Mike Leach had an interesting weekend because he essentially teed off yeah. on a reporter, and it was almost like a I'm got a half I've got like a foot out the door type deal. And there was a report that came out from Football Scoop that there's apparently mutual interest between Leach and Arkansas. They're still doing the vetting process. That might not be Arkansas's first choice, but weird weekend for Mike Leach. If you haven't seen that video yet, where he just went off on a reporter, it was kind of a oh yeah, that's why that guy doesn't have a bigger time job because people are scared to death of what he would do at a place that has a massive fan base at a place like Florida State or Tennessee or something like that. Very interesting to see that. I'm interested to see if Mizzou is going to pursue somebody like Leacher if they're just like, no. I think that'd be a great hire. I I did too. You're right about it. If it's a massive fan base like Tennessee or Florida that's constantly involved in, like not decisions, but like, Constantly giving feedback as, as well. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're they're, they're like very outspoken about everything. Um, so the leash is probably a little bit shorter there. This is he's perfect for Mizzou. The he's interesting a smart guy is a little bit weird and out there. Like he would fit in really well at Mizzou. The interesting thing is obviously like Mizzou is known for journalism school and like they, yeah. they pride themselves on that in that state. And seeing Leach's reaction to yeah. to a reporter would would you know may, maybe make some people around those parts take a step back. All right, we're going to talk more about that coaching search as we hear more um, more reports that are that are thrown out there. Um, but let's get to it. Might mean too much. I've got a Bell Choir concert to get to in a little bit here, so we'll breeze through this. Um, so all the people that were in my mentions about the George Pickens fight video that I tweeted out on both sides of this were perfect. It might mean too much candidates. 
I saw people who said, yeah, don't take no BS from anyone. And like, <laughs> good, good for you, George Pickens, for like getting into a fight in that spot. And then other people who were like, yeah, what a thug. Suspend him for the rest of the year. It's like, okay, can we actually just be rational human beings about this? I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry, dog fan 269. But, you know, saying that, that, that Pickens was, you know, in the right to do it. And like Georgia fans were cheering, cheering him on after like, there, there's a middle ground here. And obviously that can't happen. He's got to know yeah. in that moment that there, there, that there are long-term implications of this. You're playing big-time college football. You've got the SEC championship coming up next week. You obviously can't lose your cool in a moment like that. He knows yeah. that by now. Everybody knows that by now. But, like, everybody gets hyped up in heat-of-the-moment stuff. And even Read I your got... your last sentence. No, say it. So even I got hyped up in a softball game last week. I got... So basically, <laughs> quick little story here. So we're playing in a playoff game against a team that we absolutely hate. The manager of their team, who doesn't even play, called a member of our team, our, our female first baseman, we played a co-ed league, uh, called her the C-word. And brawl broke out. Yeah, that was a few weeks ago. That was, a, that was an it might mean too much for the ages as well. So in this game, a girl on this team who's not even playing, and she's like, a, a, like one of the assistants or whatever. Like, why do you have assistants in co-ed softball? I have no idea. But I, I went up to the ump because like they had added an extra run onto the opposing team score. Like it was, it was supposed to be six to three, and they made it seven to three. So I said, you know, and they added this run on while we were hitting, which made no sense whatsoever. So after the happening's over, I go out to the ump. I say, how did they get a run while they were in the field? Like how does that happen? That's a perfectly yeah. realistic question to ask. And then she decides to start chirping me and starts yelling at me, saying, "Turns you don't know how to count, dumb." You know, you can fill in the blank on that one. But. So then I chirped back and I said, you know, basically like, oh, hey, like, hey, thanks for playing. Keep talking. Keep talking over there. And I basically yelled at her and then we went through the, the high five line. I didn't give her a high five. I didn't go George Pickens on her, thankfully. Probably would have gotten me arrested. That wouldn't have been a good look. Um, would have had a great this story to tell. This might mean too much. Went from the Pickens fight to your, your song. My point. Thing. Okay. So my point is like. Even I, who I pride myself on, like trying to be like the level-headed one, I got yeah. heated. I started like chip, like you know, going back and forth with somebody who, like a neutral, a neutral observer, my wife would look at that situation and say, "Why did you even give her the time of day? Who cares, man? Like, yeah. just get on with it." Sometimes we get a little bit offended, and it happens. So, like the people that are saying, "Oh, he's got to just like walk away from that," obviously, yeah, but stuff happens. Stuff happens in the heat of battle. Not saying that that was okay, but like, it's a mistake. He's gonna he's gonna learn from it. He's gonna move on from it. That's my stance. I, I will say the the pick, I didn't I didn't really see anybody that was saying good for him he should have fought him. Oh, I had so which, many. Of my I mean, I'm not doubting it happened because it's like I mean you know it's it's every it, you're gonna get both sides of it no matter what the issue is always like on, on social media. So I'm I'm not surprised necessarily, but I like I think most Georgia fans are like, geez, man, come on, like we we're gonna need you for next week. Yeah, the big exactly. picture on the, on the horizon. Um, okay, I, I do want to say one thing for it might mean too much. I posted a tweet. Uh, of a DM I got from somebody nasty yesterday. Did you see that? Yeah, it's bad. And and I hope that people made it through this part of the of the podcast because I want I want to say some very like genuine and and this is from the heart. And I was uh yesterday before the the Iron Bowl and for all the games and rivalry and stuff like that. Um, there was it was like you know it's the end of the season, so I was like already kind of like you know emotionally unstable. That's oh what boy. Because it's just it's a you know it's a sad part of the year, but I, I want everyone here to know that not everything that happens, I think, like in, in college football or in sports and like in, in the podcast or any of our conversations or arguments, whatever, is is to be taken like 
so angrily or like as serious. And, and I saw the Rod Bramblett thing yesterday from Tom Rinaldi, Gosh, which was if, if you miss it, it's like such a tearjerker. And I, I, I said this yesterday on Facebook Live, and I just want to reiterate it here. And so everyone hears it is we have so much to be thankful for, like on this podcast, like in general, with like how, how much fun we get to have and talking with you guys. And, and I am so genuinely grateful and thankful for this job and for you know things in my own life and 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 being able to like honestly share i said yesterday i meant it like i I was i was genuinely thankful to share the loss with like the people in the facebook group because it was like it's i we really are we have so much to be to be grateful for not just with me and you but like in general and i i hope that people don't take this to extremes and being too serious because man there's just so many there's just so many things that are more important than the game you know what I mean? And I never, I honestly, six years ago, I never thought I would say something like that, especially on the heels of like rivalry week. But like, there's, there's, if someone hasn't told you today, like you, you are loved. You are, you are more than just being upset or involved and invested into something that we're not even playing in. And, and I hope that, I hope that people can take that to heart and realize that like, man, if you, if you can, if you, if you haven't seen, I'm rambling here, but if, if you had, I'm trying not to be too, super emotional here, but the Rob Bramlett thing, if you, Tell the people you love that you love them. Tell the people you're close with you love them. Because it, it, that kind of stuff means so much more than any of the blank that plays out on the football field on Saturday afternoon. I feel like I just talked to Pastor Patty Sue and not Chris after an Iron Bowl loss. I am impressed. I mean, That's a great message. That's a great message to remember. Yeah. It's a great message. I think that we're going to get uh, a lot of people who are very interested to, to see kind of like how this plays out with with Bama, and they're going to be, you know, waiting. They're going to be chirping constantly, and the, you know, it's rivalry week. I'm sure people are still going to be chirping for the next 365 days, but that's a very important message to remember. Very, very well said. We have Facebook Live after the playoff show Tuesday night. Correct? We still doing those? Yup. Awesome. We have one more Tuesday night playoff show. Thankfully, I, I'm ready to kind of do away with the Tuesday night playoff real. shows. Um, they're a little bit overrated. But we're, we're going to have that. We're going to have, um, like I said, the live show is going to be awesome. If you haven't bought your tickets yet, please, please, please do so right just now. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review, rate, review, subscribe, all of those fun things. Follow us on all forms of social media, at Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter, at Saturday Down South on Instagram. Marler, Cocho, Matt Luke, whoever you got there. Queso, if Queso's there. Um, no, it's going to come for me. I love you guys. You guys have a great weekend. Uh, and we'll hopefully see you in Atlanta next week. Yes. See you in Atlanta. Talk to you this week.